Hebrews chapter number five, we're going to be finishing out uh, this chapter this morning, covering verses 11 through 14. The title of our message uh, this morning is The Danger of Immaturity. The Danger of Immaturity. Last week we had our fifth Sunday fellowship. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I came away encouraged and blessed as we just reflected on all that the Lord has done and is doing uh, in your individual lives and corporately as a church. Uh, mindful of the prayer requests that were mentioned as well. I just, I'm so thankful for those times where we can have those family chats and just worship the Lord and, and testify to His works. And if you're like me, uh, anytime there's a pause or a break of, of any amount of time, I need a little reminder of, of where we're at and where we're going. And so uh, for those that, that haven't been with us week over week, we are working expositionally our way through the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and, and we find ourselves in chapter number five, and at the end of it is, is what we'll be targeting, and uh, the author of Hebrews is, is calling out these, these dangers of immaturity, this warning against apostasy. And this isn't the first time that we've seen these themes come up uh, thus far in the book of Hebrews, and it won't be the last. Uh, this is a common theme that uh, the author is going to continue to call out and, and, and draw our attention to this, this warning against an evil and unbelieving heart. And up to this point in chapter 5, we have really just lingered in the person and work of Jesus, remembering the gospel, remembering his, his role and his authority and his function on our behalf through the gospel as our faithful and merciful and great high priest. And how beautiful those realities have been. But here in verse number 11, we see a little bit of a shift uh, in our text. We see the author of Hebrews hitting a pause button on this this teaching of Jesus as our high priest, and specifically from, uh, from the order of Melchizedek. And, and he hits this pause button, and he's going to call out his readers, his hearers uh, here in the letter, and he's going to uh, call out their immaturity. Uh, and, and I think there's much for us to consider even in our day, as we also consider this danger and this warning against an immature faith. The tone of this exhortation will continue all the way through chapter number six. Uh, Pastor Dave is going to take the next couple weeks at the, the first half of chapter six, and we actually have a great opportunity where um, our brother Ed Young is going to bring the word to us at the end of chapter number six, and so we're excited about that. So that gives you a little path forward as we continue to work through this, this section, this warning against apostasy. And this contrast between an immature faith and a mature faith. And so here in verse number 11, we see this first phrase as we consider this danger, this warning against an immature heart. At the end of verse number 11, we see this phrase, dull of hearing. Do you see it there? As we look forward to chapter number 6, verse number 12, we see a similar term where they are described as not to be sluggish. So these are the two exhortations that are going to bookend this idea right here of a warning against immaturity, a warning against apostasy. 
dull of hearing and not to be sluggish. This is the demeanor, the disposition that these readers and some of these hearers are being known for now. And so the author is calling that into question. He is addressing it head on as he continues to make his way and look forward to some additional teaching on Jesus as our high priest. And so I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a strategic time out in my life. As a father, I feel like I'm uh, probably maybe call one too many timeouts in conversations with my kids. Uh, if you have a conversation with my kids, they, they, we've had some epic lectures and conversations on the side. I don't know if dads, if, if you're a a master lecturer like I am, but oftentimes I might just linger a little bit too long, a minute or five minutes or an hour too long in some of these lectures, but sometimes it's important for us to just hit a timeout. Uh, my daughter was playing volleyball uh, yesterday with Liberty Parks and Rec, and uh, we were on a little bit of a run. I think we had scored five, six, seven points in a row, and the other coach strategically and well played, they did what? They called a timeout. Uh, what's the point of that timeout? It's, it's to settle our mind and, and to maybe uh, stop a, a slide that may be happening in a negative way. And sometimes these timeouts are an opportunity to huddle up and, and for us to consider some truth and to regroup and reorganize and, and to remember the game plan, so to speak. And sure enough, the the next serve after that timeout, we, we hit it into the net, and, and it was their ball. And so the coach uh, played that timeout very, very well. And so it's almost as if the author of Hebrews is calling a timeout, right? There's been a lot of momentum, if you will, through this letter. We have seen Jesus is, is, is better. He is better than Moses. He is a better high priest. He is better than Aaron. He is better than the Levitical high priestly system. He is of the order of Melchizedek, a, a king and priest, that is better than that that has come since in history. And so here we have the author calling this time out, gathering us together, and he has some very strong exhortations for us to consider as we continue to work uh, through this teaching. As I was working through this text, I couldn't help but remember a very familiar parable. I wonder if you remember this parable from Matthew chapter number 13 as we uh, tee up our text here in Hebrews chapter number five, right after the parable of the soils, we have this sobering passage beginning in verse number 24. Jesus says this, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and that enemy went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do, uh, excuse me, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The parable of what? Tares among the wheat. Time and time again, as we continue to work our way through 
the book of Hebrews, I wonder if you have made those connections that yes, even in the church, the local assembly, even Liberty Hills Bible Church, there certainly are wheat among the tares, or excuse me, tares among the wheat. Do you remember 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 19? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. That it might become plain that they all are not of us. This warning against apostasy that we've now seen for the third time and will continue to see as we work our way through this book of Hebrews is a sobering reality. At the end of the day, some will cry to, to, to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done these great things in your name? And what will his response be to them? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And he says this, I never knew you. See, it's not enough just to be a part of a church. It's not enough to just be in the right place at the right time, hearing the right thing. Being in relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel requires just that, a relationship. And this is what Hebrews, this entire letter is all about. It's it's rightly understanding who Jesus is and responding to Him as a Savior and Lord. It's it's the gospel declaring out to us that, that Jesus is who He said He is. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. This is the ultimate concern of the author of Hebrews. There are some that will be reading and hearing this letter that have begun to coast a bit in their relationship with the Lord. A spirit of complacency has come over them and they have settled into a season of accepting the status quo. They popped it into neutral and, and they're, just, they're just present. They're just warm in a pew. Their relationship with Jesus has grown cold. The hunger, the excitement, the urgency, the intentionality, it is, it is vanished. And how some have become known for their immaturity and infancy in the Lord. So the author of Hebrews, again, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He exhorts those individuals. He is concerned for them, and he is attempting to stir up in them and in us the same concern for their faith. As we've just worked our way through chapters 3 and 4, have we not been called into question ourselves as we looked at that unbelieving generation who would not inherit the promised land, who ultimately fell away in the desert? This is the call. They were not able to enter God's rest. Because of what and why? Unbelief. So this brings us to the big idea of our text here in Hebrews chapter number five. I appreciate you accommodating that maybe lengthier uh, introduction as we remind ourselves of where we're at here in this study of, of Hebrews. So the big idea of our text is this, immaturity in the faith or no faith at all will dull our ability to truly know and relate to Jesus as our great high priest. Immaturity in the faith or no faith at all, will dull our ability to truly know and relate to Jesus as our great high priest. Again, the author is 
looking to remind his readers that the same gospel that saves is the same gospel that sanctifies. When the gospel is at work in our lives, it will move us from a state of infancy and immaturity to that of growth and maturation in the Lord. This is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life. This is the gospel alive in us. So this morning, as we unpack verses 11 through 14, we're going to see three different metaphors that the author uses to bring full exposure to this exhortation against immaturity and, and dull of hearing. That we're, we're going to just let those metaphors be our, our three main fo- points this morning. So the first metaphor is this. It's the metaphor of the school classroom. It's a metaphor of the school classroom. Verse number 11 kicks off with this phase about this. In verse number 11, we have much to say. About what? Well, the immediate context, the author is looking back to this discussion that we've just worked through about Jesus Christ as our high priest. And that of him being of the order of Melchizedek. It is, it is uh, right here that, that he has much to say. About this, we have much to say. He, he causes that or calls that strategic time out right here. He could go on, and ultimately he will go on in chapter number seven. But kind of sandwiched right here in between these teachings about Jesus as our high priest and the order of Melchizedek, we have these great exhortations. He's reminding them that there is more teaching that can and, and should happen about Jesus, who he is what he has done for us, and the implications of those realities in our lives. Friends, do you believe this reality that Jesus changes everything? The author desires to unpack so much more, but in some ways he feels like he can't. Not only is there much to say by way of quantity, But the next phrase in verse number 11 reminds us that these truths concerning the personal work of Jesus as our high priest, they are hard to explain. We have much to say, and it is hard to explain. There's a depth to this message, to this topic of Jesus Christ as our faithful and merciful and great high priest of the order of Melchizedek. There is much that needs to be understood as we rightly understand Jesus and respond to Him as Savior and Lord. There's a difficulty of this topic, not just because of what the topic is, but rather due to the dullness of their hearing. So there's much to say. It's hard to explain. But what is the the variable that's introduced in the midst of those two things that is compounding the difficulty. It is their dullness of hearing. They have become dull of hearing. It's often said about us as men that we have selective hearing. Man, have you ever been accused of that before? No, I see some that say absolutely not. So you are the banner of um, husbandry and we need to learn from you. Uh, I have been accused of this before. I literally have some bad hearing. Ear infections over the year have caused some scar tissue, so I, I pay, play that card often. Uh, I just didn't hear you say that thing, and we need to have that conversation again. But ultimately, what is dullness of hearing? 
It's not that the content isn't being shared. It's not, man, that you didn't have that conversation with your wife. It's that you didn't what? Hear it. Maybe you didn't acknowledge it. You weren't engaged in the conversation. Maybe you were present. You were there. But you weren't involved in that conversation. Have you been there before? Can you relate? This is the idea of dullness of hearing. Right? They are under the teaching. They know Jesus, these truths about Jesus Christ, but because of their immaturity of their faith or no faith at all, there has been a dullness that has come over their hearing, and thus they do not know these truths to be in relation to their uh, personal relationship with the Lord. So there's a dullness of hearing that is causing a compounding effect on the difficulty of these truths and this message about Jesus Christ as our great high priest. This is willful, and this dullness of hearing is deliberate. This is not a product, again, of poor teaching or poor delivery. Rather, these hearers have chosen to close their ears to the truth of God's Word. And it is having a, a terrible infa- impact on their, their faith with the Lord and, and, and the assembly as a whole. I can remember a few years ago when I was trimming some trees. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was a rose bush or something of that nature. Doing some yard work. And I can remember Grayson. He's not here, so I can tell the story. He's with his grandma this weekend. Uh, but Grayson comes along, kind of waddles outside. He's maybe, I don't know, four, maybe five years old, tops. And I'm out there trimming away and, and just making these nice strategic cuts. And, and Grayson come up to me and he says, Dad, what are you doing? And as a good dad would do, and, and certainly even as a pastor, I'm thinking, man, this is a great you know, analogy here of, of pruning, right? Pruning a tree. And so I went to John 15 and I started unpacking this, this reality that, you know, there's, there's this aspect of pruning and we prune, we cut back. Why? So that it can bear more fruit and, and it can be healthy. And, and Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And I'm going to all these details and I realize again that I'm going on a little too long and maybe his eyes are starting to glass over. And I say, son, do, you, you understand where I'm coming from? Did you get that? And he said, oh, that's great, dad. You want to play catch? right? He, he was a little too immature to really connect the dots of exactly what I was trying to get at in my dad moment with my son, right? There's an immaturity that causes a lack of understanding of some of these, these basic and beautiful and rich truths of the gospel, understanding that Jesus Christ stands in the gap and represents us perfectly before a holy God, doing a work that we can never do on our own. His righteousness imputed on our behalf, and, and Jesus taking our sin and, and paying for it and completely. And what a beautiful song we sung this morning. All sufficient merit. That chorus, it is done. It is done. It is finished. Are you thankful for that reality that through Jesus, through the gospel, He has not only paid for my sin, But through this great exchange, the righteousness of a holy God, Jesus Christ, has been applied to my account. This is the work of the great high priest, representing me perfectly before a holy God. That immaturity leads to a lack of interest. That immaturity led not only Grayson, but even these these readers to to value something else over the Word of God. So it's here that the author 
goes on to double down on this exhortation. This dullness of hearing has stunted your growth. Look with me in verse number 12. For though by this time you ought to be, what? Teachers. You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. By now you should be teachers. And and to clarify, uh, the author is not advocating that everyone should be teachers or, or preachers of the Word of God. But within this metaphor of the classroom, he's stating that there should be such a mastery of the personal work of Jesus that they should be able to stand in as a teacher within this classroom. But unfortunately, they're unable to do that. Why? Because of dullness of hearing and immature faith or no faith at all. Rather, the end of verse number 12, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He is reminding them that in light of their tenure in the faith, their immaturity is unacceptable. It's inexcusable. At this point in the relationship with the Lord, they should be able to be teachers. But they have fallen into this complacent, comfortable, immature state. Do you remember back to Hebrews chapter number 3, verses 12 through 14? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart. We've gone back to that, that verse often, leading you to fall away from the living God. But, verse 13, exhort one another. How often? Every day, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. But exhort one another in verse number 13. So the author here envisions a level of maturity in the faith that would allow them to come alongside another brother or sister in Christ and exhort them as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is the reality of an immature faith. There's no exhorting. There's no one anothering. There's no engagement with other brothers and sisters in Christ. There's not the the tenure and the understanding and the growth to be able to step in as teachers. There's no discernment. Do you remember Galatians chapter number 6, verses 1 and 2? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, verse number one, you who are what? Spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is what the author has in mind. Hebrews 3, exhorting one another. Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul calls into our our minds again this, this idea of coming alongside someone caught in sin and doing what? Restoring him. Looking forward to Hebrews chapter number 10, verses 24 and 25, let us hold fast the confession. We see that phrase one more time again. 
the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works. This is what is missing when an immature faith is the status quo of an assembly. We don't have this this type of iron sharpening iron. We don't have this discipleship culture. We don't have uh, us being together and and being our brother's keeper as we have often talked about here at, at Liberty Hills. And at the end of the day, these readers right here in chapter number five, during this strategic timeout that the author is calling, He's leading them, his readers, to go back to the basics. Verse number 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again what? Teach you what? The basic principles of the oracles of God. This phrase, basic principles, comes from the Greek word stokaion. And this word refers to the basic elements of language, which is what? The alphabet. This dullness of hearing has severely stunted their learning and they can only handle the most elementary of concepts. Chapter 6, verse number 1 alludes to the same reality where we see this word elementary even included in this idea. This immaturity has caused a simplicity to come about that is negative in its impact. It's not that the simple things are inadequate or not enough. It's not that we need more than just the gospel, but rather it's that they have stopped at these basic and elementary principles. This immaturity is keeping them in the seat of the student when they should be exhorting and instructing as a teacher. So at the end of the day, what is the danger of immaturity? It impedes engagement. Immaturity limits your role and your participation within the body of Christ. And the author is extremely concerned about those realities. This is not the life within the body of Christ that that God's word lays out. And under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the author is exhorting an immature and complacent faith. So here at the end of verse number 12, we transition from the first metaphor of the classroom, and now our second metaphor is that of the dining room. Moving away from the instruction and and learning conversations, we now now move on to, to food and physical development. The exhortation against the dullness of, of hearing uh, is, is immaturity. It's, it's viewed within this new lens of what? Food and physical development. Look at me at verse number 12. You again need someone to teach these basic, basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. You need milk, not Solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. The call out here is that the immature and dull hearer needs only milk and not solid food. Why? Because this person is described as a child. 
at the end of verse number 13. This person is described as a child. The word used here for child is napios, which in the most cases refers to a child that is beyond the stage of a helpless infant, but likely is not more than three to four years of age. What do we gain from this understanding? There was some initial growth, yes. They've been weaned off their mother's milk. They've had some initial growth, but here they have plateaued out. There's been a stunting of of their growth and development. They keep going back to the milk and they, they have not developed to the point where they can handle solid food. You remember that transition in your own family when your little one started to, to grow up and uh, going away from mother's milk and a bottle and moving over to, to cereal and, and solid food that there's, there's uh, challenges uh, with that. And sometimes you start a little bit earlier and there's impacts of, of health and sleep schedule and all that that goes along with it. Uh, but ultimately, they have to develop to the point where their digestive system is ready to handle solid food that comes by what? Maturity and growth and development. So here the author is calling out this reality that there are some that are reading this letter that are still satisfied with milk. They're content with that. And that's not okay. There should be growth. There should, there should be maturity by God's grace. As the gospel is at work in our life, the gospel that saves is the gospel that sanctifies, that calls us to be less like the world and, and to put our flesh away and to ultimately be sanctified, to be more like Jesus Christ. This is the work of the gospel by His grace in our lives. There was some initial growth, but now... That plateau effect has slipped in and they are still but a child. The stunted growth and childish state is described in very clear terms. What is the result of all this? Verse number 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Why? Since he is a child. Not only does The preacher and author here in Hebrews need to throttle his message concerning this high priestly role of Jesus Christ and the order of Melchizedek, but his readers that find themselves in this state are also unskilled in the word of righteousness. What do we make of this? So I think interpreting Scripture with Scripture is helpful. The Apostle Paul calls out a similar dynamic in his first letter to the church at Corinth, chapter number 3, Verses 1 through 3, Paul says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For, 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 excuse me, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? In a similar sense, this dullness of hearing right here in Hebrews chapter number five, it is looking forward to chapter number six. This sluggish disposition has a terrible impact on their ability to distinguish right from wrong. Thus, they are unskilled in this word of righteousness. 
not only discerning ethically right from wrong, but this word of righteousness also involves the gospel. Maybe they are actually unskilled and truly understanding the gospel itself. They have not recognized Jesus as Savior and Lord. They don't understand His, His person and His work, and they do not understand their need for a Savior. There's a dullness of hearing. We've seen the school classroom, the dining room, and now we see finally this third metaphor of the athletic trainer. In this final metaphor, we also observe the contrast to the previous verse. Verse number 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Verse 14 is the contrast of that, but solid food is for whom? The mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Those who are willfully choosing immaturity and are imbibing only on milk are unskilled in this word of righteousness. In contrast, those that are feasting on solid food are described as mature and having powers of discernment trained by constant practice and and able to distinguish good from evil. What a stark contrast we see between the immature and the mature in faith. Let's break down a couple words here to help us in understanding this third metaphor. The, the first ver, uh, word I want to call out is this word powers. Uh, this is uh, maybe a little bit different word. It's, it's not one that we're going to use often in, in our vernacular. What does it mean that, uh, but, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. We're not talking about some magical superhero powers. We're certainly not talking about that. So what does this word mean? It literally means to have the capacity to perceive clearly. The capacity or ability to perceive clearly and hence to understand the real nature of something. Simply the ability to be able to do something. So they have the ability to do what? Discern right from wrong. Distinguish good from evil. The second word that really calls out this analogy of the athletic trainer is this word trained that we see in verse number four. This powers of discernment that is trained by constant practice. This word trained is from the Greek word hymnazo. Our word gymnasium comes from this Greek word. So the original readers would have understood this word in light of an athletic or training context. So the mature in faith are feasting on solid food. They have both competency and capacity to do what? Discern and distinguish. The mature have the ability to to receive information to discern and distinguish, to make sense of it. They have the capacity and ability to be able to go through that process. Why? Because of a mature and growing faith. They have the competency and capacity to discern and distinguish right from wrong through what? 
not just right biblical teaching and doctrine, but it is also coupled with constant training and practice through the application of daily Christian living that of course happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is alive within us through the gospel's work. We are sealed with the promise, what? Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. In any area of athletics or fitness, knowledge of fundamentals and concepts that are constantly practiced and trained over the course of years is what makes an athlete truly elite. <clears throat> the only difference between my son Grayson um, playing baseball and Bryce Harper playing baseball is that uh, Bryce Harper has had many, many, many years of doing the same thing over and over and over again and doing it right and doing it well and doing it with an incredible amount of, of skill and attention to detail. In our Christian life, I want to be clear to make sure that this isn't just about us being skillful and being good at being a Christian. I want to be clear that the gospel would never promote that type of self-based righteousness. All sufficient merit. The song that we sang just this morning would give a testament. Grace unmeasured would give a testament to that reality as well. This is the gospel at work in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Scripture and God's Word changing us, conforming us into the image of His dear Son. So I can't do this work of moving from immaturity to maturity. I, by God's grace, need to rely on the Holy Spirit and submit my life to Him. And we'll talk about some resources here in just a moment that God has given us to be able to do it. But it's not necessarily that an elite athlete is doing something more or complex or more challenging, but rather it's this truth and this this, this basic understanding that the Christian life is not a moment in time, but it is, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Oftentimes, even at the highest level of fitness and athletics, we often see coaches and individuals doing what? Going back to the basics, going back to the fundamentals, and so again, it's not that the fundamentals are inadequate or we need to do more or, or less of something, but rather it's this reality that we're staying in the game. We're not checked out, relegated to the bench, popping into neutral and coasting in our relationship with the Lord. It has become muscle memory, a reflex. These basic concepts and fundamentals of daily Christian living have been applied and lived out and by God's grace this has developed into a level of maturity and mastery and discernment between good and evil. This is the product of a grace-enabled, Holy Spirit-empowered daily Christian walk with the Lord. There's going to be growth. There's going to be maturity. And there's going to be solid food. And there's going to be an ability of discernment and distinguishing good and evil. And that happens through what? Constant practice and training. I can't help but think of Ephesians chapter number 4. I know we go there often from time to time, but Ephesians 4 reminds us of the beautiful resource 
that God has given us in this work of growth and maturity in the Lord. Ephesians 4 verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For what purpose? For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. To be Christ-like, that is the goal. Verse number 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. There's that exhorting and that encouragement and that bearing each other's burdens, that one anothering that we see all throughout the New Testament, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Hmm. The warning here is clear. Those that willfully persist in spiritual immaturity must look long and hard and see if they are truly in the faith. This is a warning against apostasy yet again, and the author of Hebrews envisions not an immature, childish faith, but rather the author of Hebrews throughout this letter envisions a vibrant faith that is maturing beyond the basics. The author of Hebrews envisions a vibrant faith that is maturing beyond a dependency on the milk of the word. The author of Hebrews envisions a vibrant faith that is growing stronger day after day through constant training and application of the word of God. And so friends, I I wonder, look into your own heart and consider the state of your faith, your relationship with the Lord. The same danger of maturity that was called out by the author of Hebrews then is the same danger of immaturity that we should consider even in our day, in our time, in our own life. The danger of immaturity in faith is great. And it is wide sweeping within the context of the local church. And I wonder, as we worked through these few verses this morning, I wonder if the Lord brought anything to mind for your life. You who are spiritual should restore the sinning brethren in Galatians 6. Ephesians 4, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, rather speaking the truth in love. Hebrews 3, exhorting one another while it is still called today. God's word envisions a faith that is vibrant, growing, and maturing. I think of our mission statement here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, we exist to make mature followers of Christ to the glory of God. We strategically added in that adjective because it's biblical. God desires for us to not just be saved. Salvation in the gospel is not just about fire insurance. It's not just about going to heaven and not going to hell. 
The gospel is about knowing Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's about acknowledging His Lordship. It's about recognizing and responding to Him rightly as Savior and Lord. The gospel and salvation is not about me. It's about God's glory being worked in and through the salvation of a remnant of whom He is calling and drawing to Himself. Again, God's will is for us all that we are collectively and corporately progressing and growing in our knowledge of the Lord. And as we do this together, within the context of the local church, we are all built up in what love, Ephesians 4 calls us to. And when the world looks on and sees that depth of unity and they see a church that is loving and caring on each other, Oh, the gospel can go forth in great power and freedom when a church is committed to the gospel of Scripture. Not posturing for my own way, not posturing for my own desires, but rather preferring one another, laying down my rights, engaging, serving, and taking up the towel and proverbially washing feet. Friends, I wonder if we can commit to live in this way Exhorting, speaking the truth in love, caring for one another. And if one of us seems to be falling away with an immature faith, I wonder, are we running after them? As is our role within the context of covenant membership. Sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, heralding the gospel. Friends, may we commit this type of covenant membership to the Lord, and as we say in our covenant, with the help of the Lord and always for His glory. Let's go ahead and close our service this morning. Ask the Lord to bless these truths as we commit them, seek to walk in obedience to these realities as we finish out Hebrews chapter number five. Father, we thank you for these metaphors of the classroom and the dining room and the athletic trainer. I pray that uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as the author penned this letter to his readers, I just pray that we would lean into these realities and that we would just be so thankful that in our day, in our time, we've been given the whole counsel of God. And we can open up the word and we can be exhorted. We can be challenged. We can be called into question of, do we have a dullness of hearing toward the gospel? Are we becoming sluggish in our faith? And Father, if there's anybody here that's wrestling with the cares of this world or the desires of the flesh, I pray that we would come alongside and help and and love and encourage and bear those burdens together. And so fulfill the law of Christ. We thank you for your word. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.